Hey everyone, it's Dr. Z. Welcome to the Z Dog MD Show. Okay, today, I, I, okay, I'm not gonna lie. I am a fan boy of this person. I've been looking forward to this interview ever since the couple days ago when he reached out in this really kind email. And this is this is Maurice Shaw. He is a pharmacist, a PharmD, uh, residency trained, everything. Uh, and how do I even begin to say this? He is now my officially my idol. And I'm, I'm gonna roll a clip because not only is he a pharmacist, he's a comedian. And his comedy, which is brilliant, which is poignant, which is to the point of what we all feel in healthcare, especially in pharmacy, got him fired from Walgreens. After seven years of doing this comedy, he never, his, his district managers loved it, everybody supported him. Suddenly the district manager changes and he's fired from corporate, medicine, pharmacy, Walgreens. Now, if I'm gonna call anybody out, I'm calling out Walgreens right now because this is a crime. In fact, look, just roll the clip and you'll see what I'm talking about. Hello, Mr. Maurice Robinson. Woo! How y'all doing? A little bit about me. I'm a pharmacist for Walgreens. Yeah. I'm a proof of what happens when you send young black kids from the South Side of Chicago to college. We learn to sell drugs legally. <laughs> the other day I was wearing this t-shirt and it said, danger, educated black man. And this lady's like, excuse me, sir, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, white lady, what's up? <laughs> She's like, what's so dangerous about an educated black man? I'm like, well, once I rob you, I won't get caught. <laughs> People always ask me, do I hate being a pharmacist? I don't hate being a pharmacist. There's just certain things I hate about my job. One thing I hate, I hate that everybody's so impatient. Every time people drop off a prescription, they want it right away. I was at work today, and this lady had to drop off a prescription. So I said, okay, ma'am, I can get your prescription ready in 15 minutes. She's like, 15 minutes? Why does it take you 15 minutes to take pills from a big bottle and stick it in a little bottle? <laughs> I said, okay, man, well, I'll, get it. I'll get it done as soon as possible. I get a prescription done in five minutes. I said, is there anything else I can help you with, ma'am? She's like, well, I have a question. Does my new medication interact with any of my old medications? I said, I'm not really sure. To be honest, I don't even know what that is. I just grabbed some shit from that big bottle. <laughs> Maurice, welcome to the show, man. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. It's, it's an honor to be here. I know I've watched a lot of your parodies, a lot of your videos, and I thought maybe, you know, because you were a doctor, I was like the only pharmacist that, you know, kind of follows you. But when I posted that I was doing a, a podcast with you, so many pharmacists and technicians reached out that they love your platform and it's you know it's kind of mind-blowing to see the kind of following that you have not just in terms of like uh, the medical profession but also like in other healthcare professions like pharmacy man you you honor me you do me honor because watching that watching your comedy and i've seen a, a lot of your stuff now you are effing hilarious dude like thank you because thank you. you're you're Per, your sense of timing, the content about what it's like to be a frontline pharmacist, and you don't shy away from issues around race, you don't shy away. And this is 
This is what I try to do as well with limited success. And you nail it. And what um, what really amazed me is when you reached out by email, man, you were just like, hey, Z, I'm a big fan. I just thought you'd like this. And you sent a, a YouTube video that starts with some of your comedy. And then it goes into you explaining how you got fired for this comedy. I mean, let's walk back for a second. Like, how did you even get into comedy? <clears throat> well, I got into comedy because people always told me that I was funny. And um, they said, you know, you should be a comedian. So I went to an open mic and I went on stage and I'm doing your typical like dick jokes, being drunk. <laughs> and I'll, I'll I've never, been there. I never forget a good friend of mine, uh, Mel, Novit, Mel Novit. He's a, a comedian and he was a writer for the Tribune. He came up to me and I was looking at these note cards and he goes, oh, are you practicing your jokes? I said, no, I have a um, heart failure exam, so I'm studying. <laughs> and he's like, what? I was like, yeah, I'm a pharmacist. Well, I'm trying to be a pharmacist. And he's like, well, why are you doing those dick jokes? Do jokes about pharmacy. People need to hear your story. And that really kind of changed my life around. And I was like, wow, maybe I should do this. So I'm, I'm writing jokes about pharmacy. And I, and I kind of thought like, who is going to really like this? Who's going to like pharmacy jokes? And then I saw a good friend of mine, LeVar Walker. He's a, a famous comedian on TV. Yeah, He's been on a lot of shows, hilarious. And he gave me kind of the hope that, hey, I could do this too. If LeVar can do it and be on TV and, and you know, be in television, he can do it. I can do it. So that kind of just uh, fueled my fire and energy to keep doing it. I remember I'd be in pharmacy school. We're in class all day. Um, from eight to four, then I would leave pharmacy school a little bit early, sit in traffic for an hour and a half, sit outside of a comedy club um, called the Laugh Factory for two hours, wait in line just for a chance to get like five, 10 minutes on stage. And I did that for year after year after year, going to little shows late at night, knowing I had an exam in the morning or I had to be at work when I actually became a pharmacist. You know, I would uh, leave work, go sit outside, sign up for an open mic or go do a comedy show, go back, open up the pharmacy the next day, you know? So it's been kind of a roller coaster, and just to kind of see how all that hard work, because people don't see the behind the scenes, you know, working as a pharmacy manager 45, 50 hours a week and trying to do comedy and travel all over the city, across the country, across the Midwest. It's, it's a lot of work. So I'm glad that, you know, things are starting to come together. Man, you know, they, <laughs> they really don't. Because I remember when I started doing Z-Dog stuff, man, like I was working 60, 80 hour weeks as a hospitalist taking call. And then post-call, when I get to come home at like noon, I would start making videos. And I was always like disinhibited because I had no sleep. And I was pissed off because of some injustice or terrible crap I saw in the hospital or something where I felt I was being mistreated. And I, it would help inform what I was doing. Is that something that happened when you were practicing as a pharmacist? Did you find that like, because a lot of your comedy is like, so this one client came up and she's in line and this happened. And I'm like, oh, I know that. I know that situation. I mean, is that how it happened with you too? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, especially, you know, for me, when I first started doing comedy, it wasn't quite like that. It, st it started when I got into YouTube because you got to do, people mm -hmm. don't understand how much video editing that goes into it. I'll shoot something, but I'm spending so much time editing in the basement late at night. You know, you know, my wife, she's a primary care physician. So, 
mm. you know, she works a lot of hours and, you know, we have a, a four-year-old daughter. So I have to wait till she goes to sleep. I have to wait till my wife goes to sleep and I have to be up and open up the pharmacy at like seven o'clock in the morning. So I'm literally from 12 to two editing the videos, cutting the audio. You understand how hard that stuff is and still got to get oh, yeah. up in the morning. And, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's been an amazing journey just to kind of see, um, where other hard work can take you and hopefully it inspires other people. I think if more pharmacists or doctors or nurse practitioners um, start using social media more, you know, we'd have a bigger platform, bigger voice. So I think everybody should, should do that. You know, even if it was something like four doctors and four pharmacists, we all got on zoom and just told stories and people could like log in and tear, tell their stories. You know, so many people who've worked for Walgreens have messaged me like, I'm so scared. I'm going to get fired. I wish I had a platform. So I was like, well, how about we do Zoom? I'll be the voice. You can have your video. It won't have your face. We can get rid of the name at the bottom and you could just tell your story. You don't have to worry about being terminated. You don't have to worry about any repercussions. And so, you know, I think that everybody should be on social media. Man, you know, oh, there's so much in what you just said that resonates with me because I have said that Part of our problem is we don't, we're not able to communalize our pain. So if something happens to you, Maurice, in the pharmacy, it's almost guaranteed that it's happening to thousands of pharmacists around the country. If something happens to me as a doctor, it's guaranteed it's happened to a bunch of us. And But the problem is we all feel like we're suffering alone, like we're all in these little bubbles because unlike other professions, you can't just go and talk shit online about your job it, it, because people consider it to be unprofessional. There's this HIPAA sort of damage is hanging over our head like at any point mm -hmm. the HIPAA guillotine is going to come down so we keep it inside and what do we do it expresses an emotional detachment or in you know inappropriate ways like substance abuse mental illness and we don't communalize it so even what you're saying with like just getting people on zoom like if we could just talk shit on zoom for half an hour with other fellow healthcare professionals. And if I'm being honest, that's probably why when I when you sent me the email, and I got a lot of emails from people, hey man, I wanna be on your show. You never said, I wanna be on your show. You said, here's a video, witness witness what I think, my experiences that I think you, you will resonate with. And immediately I saw it and I'm like, that's my experience too. Now we've communalized our pain and, and that's so powerful. So what you do with comedy is you put it out there. Uh, in a way that is authentic and you and unfiltered, but filtered enough that you still, it's clear that you have a deep love and respect for your patients, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I think is so horrible about the fact that then they fired you. You know, like, you know, you know what, like comedy, comedy actually helped me at work. Cause you know, you'd have an angry customer. And I, I remember I had this one lady, she was so upset um, her prescription needed a prior off and she thought that it should be covered because the doctor wrote it. And so she was yelling at my <laughs> we technician. We know this game. <laughs> yeah. so she was yelling, yelling at the tech, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I go over there and she's cussing me out and I go, damn, tell me how you really feel about me. <laughs> Everybody in the lobby starts laughing. And, you know, that kind of comedy helped, you know, de-escalate the situation. You know, I told her, I'll call the doctor, we'll work on it. You know, give me about 48 hours and I'll call her back. And it kind of just changed the whole tone. She apologized. She said, I'm sorry. Oh. I was just frustrated. But comedy actually helped. And it also helped me because, you know, the working conditions in pharmacy is, is terrible. You've even talked about it. And having knowing that I had a video that I was about to drop or if I had a comedy show, it gave me something to look forward to. 
So it's like, oh, the week is going to be terrible. But if I could just make it to Thursday, I have a show Thursday, two show Friday, two show Saturday. And it just it helped me be a more joyful person in the pharmacy. So it was kind of like um, mental medicine for me just to get through the work week because, you know, I was doing eleven hundred prescriptions a day, eighteen hundred flu shot goal one hour overlap, you know, in the state of Illinois, they had mandatory counseling on all new prescriptions, but the system couldn't tell you what exactly was a new prescription. So if somebody's getting another Norco script, it's a new prescription, another Xanax mm. script, but they've been on another Viagra or if it transferred from another store. So my store was so busy. We had four lanes on that um, for pickup and then one in drive through. So it always had to scan my barcode. Do you have any questions? No, I've been here. I've been on this medicine before. Why well, have to wait? I said, I'm sorry. I have to count. And I would go from line to line, scanning a barcode, scanning a barcode, scanning a barcode, drive through. Then I try to go check a prescription. Everybody's like barcode because everybody else needs barcodes. And it was just like impossible. You know, I, you know, my, I couldn't even think people would ask me, what do you recommend for pain? And it's just like your brain, something so a question so simple. Just my brain was so fried after seven hours. It's just like, uh, give me a second. Let me, you know, gather myself. So it, it comedy was really helped me get through the work week, especially as a pharmacy manager. Man, you know, it's like when we turn human beings into assembly line workers and commodity you know, workers, that's what they are. That, what you said was really powerful the part about then they ask me a question that requires me to use my intuitive thinking brain that has we've lowered it to reptile brain because you're like scan barcode do this read the counseling do this do that that's a machine it could be done by a machine why why do they take someone with four years of pharmacy training plus you did a residency in iowa right yes yeah, yeah, so a one-year residency one year residency, this highly trained doctor of pharmacy and make, turn them into a fucking pill pushing machine that is, you're trying to game it to metrics that don't actually affect patients at all, but they affect the bottom line of the Walgreens as operating on tiny margins because the pharmacy benefit managers are parasitically taking the spread and, and you have people rich in these mansions and then they have people like you who worked up probably, well, you, you in your comedy clip, you said, yeah, I'm a black kid from the South side of Chicago and I got an education. I mean, this is fucking outrageous to me. And that was part of the reason I wanted to have you on on Sunday. You know, it's like, we're, you know, we're, we shouldn't be really doing stuff, but it's like, oh, we gotta get this message out. Can, can, can we back up for a second? Just tell me a little bit about your background because how did you kind of even get into pharmacy? Well, <clears throat> pharmacy was something that my dad kind of brought up. He says, I think this would be a good career for you. And um, I wanted to be a vet. So uh -huh. when I went to the University of Wisconsin, I was, you know, the, the curriculum was pretty much the same. When I got to my junior year, sophomore, junior year, my advisor was like, well, you're going to have to make a decision because you've taken all the classes that are required for both. Because vet school is hard to get into as well. And, yeah, it is. Uh, so eventually I decided that I wanted to be a pharmacist because I wanted to help people. And even though I love animals, helping people was more important to me. So that's why I decided to become a, a pharmacist. Um, ended up coming back home, went to Chicago State College of Pharmacy, um, heavily involved in APHA, uh, president-elect president. I did uh, two corporate internships 
uh, with Jewel Osco because I always wanted to be a, a district manager. I thought if you know if I became a district manager and moved up um, the corporate ranks that I could um, make change in, in pharmacy. So I did two of those corporate internships. And I really wasn't going to do a residency, but I wanted to separate myself from my peers. So I just applied and I was actually chosen by the University of Iowa, which was an amazing experience. Uh, one day a week, I ran a travel clinic. So people would come to me, they'd tell me where they were going and I would take care of all the immunizations that they needed before they you know, travel to whatever country. I worked as a pharmacist, um, just like a staff pharmacist, two days a week. Every Wednesday, I ran a, a diabetes clinic and we had a collaborative practice agreement. So patients would bring me their blood glucose logs and I could adjust their medicine, uh, you know, add medicine, take stuff off, give them medicine, train them on their um, diabetic machines without having to consult the physician because we had this agreement. So it, it was an amazing experience, you know, not that I don't mind, you know, consulting doctors, but when I have to say, hey, can I switch Humalog to Novolog because the insurance won't cover it and, you know, wait on hold, you know, I, just to have a little bit more autonomy was just kind of an amazing feeling. And then I did a lot of MTM medication therapy management. That was actually my residency project with outcomes in Marixa. And um, I worked with Hy-Vee, 19 different stores. I went and trained uh, all the different uh, pharmacists, pharmacy managers, how to do uh, outcomes. I helped them bill. And um, if I can remember correctly, my residency project, actually outcomes actually came to my presentation. And um, I was able to increase the amount of revenue from MTM alone by a substantial amount. So it was, you know, a wonderful time. Everybody loved my residency project. And, you know, I've, I feel like I've spent my retail career trying to um, regain that type of love I have for pharmacy. Because to, to be honest, I was starting to lose it. I was hating pharmacy, no mm -hmm. patient care. And people always ask me, if you work 50 hours a week as a pharmacy manager, where do you find time? to go do a black barbershop health initiative, meet with doctors, meet with nurse practitioners. And I was like, well, I wasn't getting that reward at work because you don't have time to counsel patients. You don't have time to um, talk to them and go over their medicine. So like that was my way of actually having true patient um, interactions was by starting this health initiative um, that, you know, for the black barbershop health initiative. So <laughs> they fired this guy, you guys. They fired this guy. Fuck these people, man. I mean, I, it makes me emotional. This guy cares about what he does. He, 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 he's dedicated to practicing at the top of his license. He's teaching other people. He cares about his patients. He's giving back to his community. And Walgreens fired him for being who he is. This is fucking outrageous to me. It really is. You know what 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 you talked about, Maurice? Is um, now I'm sorry too. It's been a t it's been a difficult week for me to, because with everything going on nationally and there's been a lot of stuff going on, everybody's emotions are running high. But what you kind of described is that human beings who care need these three things to feel like they're doing something in the world that matters. They need autonomy, which is robbed from you in corporate pharmacy because you you have to meet these metrics and they're very regimented. You need a sense of purpose. When you do the black barbershop stuff, when you do that other stuff, you're reconnecting with the community, you're 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 doing you're part of something bigger than you. And you need a sense of mastery that you actually have the tools and the resources and the autonomy to get good at what you do. And I think the reason so many in healthcare and pharmacy is a big piece of it 
are struggling is that they don't have those things. Either one or more of those things are missing. And what you just described is how you found, you fought to get those pieces back. You saw it disappearing and you said, you know what? I wanna go do this now, I'm gonna do a residency because then I find, find this mastery and purpose comes back, right? Does that feel right or am I crazy? No, that, that you, you, what you just said was just perfect. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of sad that, you know, especially for me, you know, what I kind of love, I really love that slogan on the corner of happy and healthy, you know, helping the patients <laughs> yeah. stay happy and healthy, but it, you know, you just don't have the time to do it. I remember one time, um, this lady would, she was, um, I had a customer, she was just yelling at me on the phone. She was unhappy that, you know, her insurance wouldn't cover 90 day. And this lady was like, Hey, I just got this brand new machine. They gave me these land sets and test strips and I don't know how to use it. Can you show me? And I said, ma'am, I apologize. I'm on the phone. I have to take care of like four other things that really something that a pharmacist shouldn't have to take care of someone else could do. And I was like, I just don't have the time. I was like, if you can come back tomorrow or the next day after that, I can help you. And she came back two days later and said she came back the next day, but the pharmacist just was so swamped. It didn't have time. So basically she didn't even t test her blood sugar for two days because mm -hmm. nobody would show her and no patient mm -hmm. should have to wait and suffer two days. Cause that's what we're here for. They should be able to maybe wait five minutes or so, and then have somebody to take, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes to just show them because we take it for granted that it's simple. It's like, Oh, it's just a, uh, you know, a blood glucose machine. We, we went to school for a long time, so it's just <laughs> right. easy. But for somebody else, that's complicated to them. That's like you handed them something in French and they're like, how do I figure yeah. this out? So. Absolutely. And then the thing is like, you're, you said something, which is we're asked to do these very, you know, these activities that we're, we're overpaid to do actually. It's like we're overqualified, overpaid to do. You could actually hire staff that do that so well. And when I talked to Shreya Kangovi, who's a doctor at Penn, talking about community health workers, they do that heavy lifting that you don't need a doctor to do, which means you know the biggest cost in healthcare is labor costs. It's 60% of our healthcare spend. So if you actually could take that and say, all right, we're, we're, we're paying somebody $200 an hour as a doctor to do menial garbage, like, to document in a in a EHR. We're doing the same with our pharmacists. Let them practice at the top of their training and then either give them the, the resources to do that counseling or give them other staff, whether it's pharmacy techs, whether it's other people who can help do that stuff. I mean, did you feel chronically understaffed all the time or what was going on? Um, I, was, I was definitely understaffed all the time. Um, like at my store, I would work seven to three if I worked in the morning from two to 10 would be the other pharmacist. So from like seven to three, I would have like no overlap, couldn't take a break, mm. standing up for seven hours. I would actually feel guilty for using the bathroom. So a lot mm. of times I would just hold it because anytime I would go to the bathroom, they'd be paging me over to intercom. Pharmacists come back to the pharmacy because people didn't want to wait or somebody was in drive through. I remember one time I was telling you about the barcodes. And this is before you could get mandatory lunches. I said, hey, I'm just going to go in there and warm up my food. Give me five minutes. I'll be right back. So the lady mm -hmm. comes through the drive-thru. My technician's like, well, the pharmacist has to scan this barcode um, and talk to you about your medicine before I can sell it. She starts yelling, talking about she's going to call the police. And I was like, I can't even get five minutes to just warm mm -hmm. up my food. I'm not even talking about the time it takes to eat it, which I was just going to try to little bits of pieces here and there. Mm -hmm. And you know, just that, that 
working environment. And then it's crazy too, because it was understaffed. We were so busy. Um, I remember feeling so bad because we'd have floaters come in and floaters would make mistakes because they're not used to the craziness. I'm kind of used to the craziness. I'd come in sometimes there'd be like a hundred prescriptions for me to check that there was the right pill in the bottle. That's not checking new prescriptions coming in. If it's the right strength, the right dose, the right patient and having to try to try to play catch up. You know, there'd be so many nights where I would go to bed and I had trouble sleeping. So I'm like, Oh my God, did I go back and double check that, you know, uh, antibiotic um, strength or dose, or, you know, a lot of times when people get 90 days, like it'll come in like uh, manufacturer bottles of 30. And sometimes mm. what happens is they'll put the wrong label on it. I was like, Oh my gosh, did I check all the labels on those three bottles? I forgot. I was so busy. I got pulled in eight different directions and like, it would keep me up at night. And, you know, some days I'll, I'll come and they'll be like, Oh my gosh, did you know that we did 1190 day prescriptions? And I was like, I can't, I don't even remember checking that many prescriptions, which is sad. I feel like I should be able to remember the prescriptions that I checked, but you just become a robot and get in this zone. And I remember at one point we were, it was a point where we were kind of making too many mistakes because um, we had a lot of new floors coming and they weren't used to it. So when corporate came in, they're like, well, how can I help you? And I was like, you know, we're making a lot of mistakes. We just don't have enough staff. We need more hours, more technicians. So pharmacists aren't, you know, isn't all day on the phone or trying to help with the out window or drive through. And then their main focus was, was about why my wait time for the phone is over two minutes. And mm. I'm like, why, why is that the focus? Like, why do you care about this metric? I'm telling you, like, pharmacists are making mistakes. Technicians are so busy. So, so busy at the drive through, they're accidentally selling the wrong prescription to the wrong person, just because they're in a rush trying to just grab as many prescriptions and not looking at it. And like, you know, when your focus is about the phone wait time being over two minutes, to me, it just, I started to hit a breaking point. Man, I, I, you know, and we, we posted that New York Times article about the errors in pharmacy, uh, CVS, and, and I, it doesn't, it really hits home when you talk to patients who've been victims of these errors. And then you talk to pharmacists who stay up at night worrying that they've made a mistake. And that's the definition of what we call moral injury. It means that you're having to serve, you're like, okay, I wanna do the right things for patients. I have to do the right thing for corporate. And then I worry about my own family and making sure I'm there for them. And those things pull you in all these different directions. And then you're up at night. And then what happens is to cope with that, you can either feel that and stay up all night, or you can start to build defenses where you depersonalize, where you start using substances, where you, take it out on other aspects of your life and you feel this low sense of accomplishment, we call that burnout. But that's just the end stage, man. It's like, it's like any chronic disease. You have diabetes forever, you have heart disease forever, you have hypertension forever. The end stage of that is your heart burns out or your pancreas burns out or your kidneys burn out and then you're on dialysis. And our system is designed to do this to us, not intentionally, but it's the perfect system to take smart, caring, passionate people and turn them into people on dialysis. And the story that you you tell is exa it's exactly that. It's exactly that. And I and I want to circle back more about the struggles in pharmacy because I think you and I should do a series of shows on this because I want to have you come back and say, okay, here's the other thing about PBMs, or here's the thing about what happens behind the counter where patients feel like they're waiting, but this is what's happening. This is where mistakes happen. There's so much we could talk about. But before I forget that, because I'm still really pissed that you got fired, 
I want to go back to the comedy stuff that you did for those how many years, seven years of comedy you were doing. You were doing it, Walgreens was fine with it, your managers were fine with it. And just walk me through what happened and what ultimately got got you fired. <clears throat> so um, my district manager who first hired me, she, she kind of been recruiting me um, since pharmacy school. Um, she kind of saw how active I was um, with APHA and SNAFA and different things that I was doing that, that had corporate internships with, you know, Jewel Osco, shadowing district manager. So she's like, hey, I, I want to hire you at Walgreens. Hey, I want to hire you. And I was like, well, you know what? I, I, I really want to do a residency. So after I got done with my residency, she's like, hey, do you still want to work for Walgreens? I know you did a residency, but I'd really still like to have you. And I was like, yeah, um, that's fine. And she knew that I did comedy and she still wanted me to come And And it's so funny. Another pharmacist that I know, they uh, actually messaged me and goes, I can't believe they fired you for that. I remember when your first district manager introduced you as a, a comedian at the corporate meeting. So, that, you know, they've known for at so long. At the corporate level. Yeah, they've known yeah. forever. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I did my whole seven years, you know, the Virginia Pharmacists Association had me come out. And I did my jokes and I talked about, um, you know, pharmacists becoming entrepreneurs, uh, pharmacists getting involved in the community setting with the uh, Black Barbershop uh, Health Initiative. Um, you know, I've had partnerships with Pharmacy Times. They wrote articles about me in there. Um, I actually went to their studio and I did a Sassy Pharmacist um, series online. And That's you know, awesome. Every, you know, I've even had people there were district managers that come to my show and take pictures with me. I have pictures with them. Nobody has had a problem with my comedy except for my new district manager. And then all of a sudden one day I'm working. It's from, I think uh, I, I worked from seven. My shift was seven to three and it's two o'clock. And my district manager's like, Hey, what do you got going on? And I'm like, well, I have an interview at two 30. I'm gonna try to go uh, get some food real quick. Cause I haven't had a chance to take a break. And he's like, well, just come talk to me in the office. So I go in the office and uh, I wasn't really thinking of anything because the store was running pretty well. Actually, last year I met uh, all of my metrics and like a couple of weeks before I was just told that the company wasn't giving bonuses and I didn't get my $16,000 bonus that I worked so hard for, you know, me mm -hmm. or my store manager. But the store, you know, was running relatively well. So then I kind of thought something was up because he shut the door. Usually when they shut the door, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> So By the way, where was where was this where was this store? This is uh in Springfield, Illinois. Okay, in Springfield, yeah. So he yeah. shuts the door, which is like, oh shit, right? Oh, shit, but but trouble. but did it not occur? Did it at that point? It still wasn't on your radar because you're Co like, wait, comedy what? Comedy was the farthest, no, the farthest yeah. thing from my mind. And even my store manager, she was just like sitting there, like, what the hell is going on? Oh, wow. And he just you know tells me that you know my comedy. He considers it gross misconduct and I'm not a good representation of the company and I'm not the type of manager he wants managing his store. So I'm being terminated immediately. Um, and I was like, do I not get a warning? Everybody knew. I mean, the company had seven years to tell me that, you know, this was an issue. I mean, all you really had to do is say, hey, take it down or stop doing it. You know, that would have been a click of the button, even though I still think it's freedom of speech and I'm not bashing the company. I would say that the, the, when they asked me to take over that store, um, the store was underperforming. Customer service scores was terrible. Um, all the technicians hated their job. And because of my comedy, because I did comedy all, all, um, near the store as well, you know, it improved business. You could look at the numbers. Mm -hmm. Like, if anything, my comedy 
improved Walgreens. They actually gained something off of it. Mm. And then, you know, he, he's like, what's next? And I was like, well, I, you know, even being fired, I was like, well, I don't want to leave extra work for my staff pharmacist. So even though I was fired, I went back into pharmacy and continued to sign control prescriptions. I, I went Man. to sign off on the vaccines that I did. You know, it was kind of embarrassing because I hired those technicians and they were like, don't say anything. I was like, man, I can't even say goodbye to the technicians that I hired. And they took my license oh my off God. the wall. And, oh my you God. know, the, the next day they told me that some of my technicians were just crying and bawling because they couldn't believe that I was just fired like that. And then they walked me out and it was kind of crazy because like I didn't steal anything. I was just doing comedy. And for a company <laughs> that I worked for for seven years to just have your license taken off the wall they hand it to you and walk you out the door was kind of heartbreaking. This is the worst thing I've ever, this is the most unjust thing I've heard in pharmacy in a long time. And I've heard a lot of terrible stories. And and now the, here's a question though, is it just this district manager who's an asshole um, or is it is it corporate? Who do you, who, who do you uh, hold accountable for this? Uh, um, just him, you know, I asked corporate mm -hmm. that. They said it's his story, it's his decision. Um, the communication I received is that it was, you know, his decision. So they will just support it, but nobody else has ever said, you know, in, uh, uh, in August or September, um, my healthcare supervisor reached out to me and she was like, Hey, based off your evaluations and how the store's performing, um, you're on track to go corporate, which was like a, a dream of mine. Right. I've been working for this since even in pharmacy store, I did those corporate <laughs> internships. And it was it's a pretty fucked up. It's a pretty <laughs> fucked up dream, man. I'm gonna one day. I'm gonna go corporate. But see, your idea was actually change the system. Yeah, and yeah. then it was like you know they were like, well, it was in Nebraska, so I was like, well, I don't want to apply for this position in Nebraska. That's too far. But they said if there's something closer in the Chicago area, you'll be next. And you know that's oh. what, what what broke my heart so much. I was so close to obtaining yeah. a long term goal and to have somebody just take it away from me with no warning and just fire me. Can I say something? Uh, you yes, did sir. not hold corporate accountable, but you hold this manager and you say, well, he made the decision and corporate then said, well, it's his decision. I'm gonna say this, I hold you accountable corporate Walgreens because you should have investigated what exactly happened. If you have a district manager who just doesn't get it, that district manager needs to be fired, not Maurice Shaw who, by, by everything I can tell, all your people who've, who've followed you for all these years, it's crazy to me. There should be some kind of investigation, some kind of process beyond just some arbitrary decision by a guy, right? It, it to me, this is the failure of of corporate medicine on so many levels to take into account that we are human beings too, as well as a, a corporation of a collective of human beings, and that's that's what I call health 2.0. It's this mechanized mechanical bullshit that I think we should all stand up, you know, and say, like people are standing up around the country right now, which I wanna talk about. But what if we stood up in healthcare and said, you know, first of all, yes, we're not gonna tolerate injustice of any kind again, but we're not gonna tolerate it against us, you know? When, when, when black people talk about how they've been mistreated by police for generations, then you talk to a nurse in the ER and they go, I was hit in the face by a patient. I was pregnant and punched in the stomach and I talked to the cops and they won't even fucking take my statement. That This is injustice on a broad level, right? You see it at every level of society. And, and so I'm not making an equation between the two, but I'm saying that we should, we should all be standing up for what we think is right and without the fear of being beaten down by a faceless corporation. And the only way to do that is if we all stand up together.
And that's just a side thing that I have to get out there because it's been on my mind quite a bit lately. But so, so let me ask a question, Maurice. Like, if you mm-hmm. had, if you could wave a magic wand, would you want that same job back and go back on that course, or what would you do now? Um, I'm just on to um, improving the profession. Um, I really don't want the the job back. You know, all the damage has been done, all the humiliation has been done. Um, mm. But I'm just really trying to use my voice to to help others. So many people have emailed me about how when they used to work at Walgreens, they were on the brink of depression. I'm actually interviewing that uh, guy from my other podcast uh, tonight at six o'clock. And he's going to talk about how he overcame depression. So I'm sure there's a lot of pharmacists who probably uh, have depression or maybe have even thought about committing suicide, which he was thinking about. Mm. And, Mm. um, you know, it's just, I thought the company did me unjustly. But then when I see so many stories of people, you know, feel like they were discriminated against fired because of their race, their age, mm. their sex, their salary. Like you, sh- you shouldn't be fired for any of those reasons unless you're, you know, you can't do the job or you're making too many mistakes. And so I just really wanted to give people a platform to be able to, you know, get it off their chest because it feels like from the emails and, te- and, and the message I've been getting, they've been holding it in and just really want to tell somebody tell their side of the story. So I'm really working to try to um, give them a platform. And, you know, when everything opens back up, I really just want to get this health initiative started again, working with um, Dr. Flack at SOU Medicine, working with the ne- nurse practitioner. He was actually, what he loved so much about the idea was that a, a community pharmacist actually came to him to do a health initiative to work together. And he thought it was the perfect thing for um, medical students where they could come and do blood pressures and various other things. So it's like, it's helping me, it's helping, you know, the, the, the school of medicine and, you know, and it's helping the community. So that's what um, the healthcare system should be. Pharmacists, doctors, nurse practitioners, nurses, everybody working together just to, um, for the, to improve the health of our community. Yeah. And, and to help each other too, you know, we should be supporting each other in a team. This is not heavy lifting on any person's part. It should be a full team effort. Right. And it was, I have a question. So what, what you you said your wife is a primary care physician. Mm-hmm. What did she think about all this? Um, <clears throat> she thinks it's unjust because she knows every holiday where the pharmacy was closed and the store was open, I would, you know, spend four hours of my own time away from my family uh, away from them on Christmas, Thanksgiving, any holidays, just to fill prescriptions because we're so understaffed, just to make sure that we're not drowning the next day, how I would go to work early and stay late, how I did flu clinics for free, blood pressure screens for free. And for me to dedicate seven years of my life, so much time away you know, from my family for a company to just fire me like that without even a warning, um, she just felt like that wasn't fair. She, she mm. felt like I should probably stop doing comedy, but I feel like it's my freedom of speech. I'm not bashing the company and I'm not willing to let that go, so. Yeah, my wife told me I should delete Twitter because <laughs> there's been a lot of drama there. And I'm like, no, 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 no I can't. No. <laughs> this is like my voice. I have to say, I have to have my voice. So let me ask a question. Do you think, um, so this was not a racially motivated firing, this this in, in, in any way, or was it? Um, you know, I know when I first took over the store, all I can really say on that is when I first took over the store, it was underperforming. The technicians weren't the best. Um, Some left. I rehired new technicians. The store improved. Everything got better. We were getting stuff done, even though we were understaffed. And um, 
you know, most of my technicians were African-American, you know, they were, they were all white for the most part. And then towards the end of my term, they were black, but it wasn't like I was just hiring just black people. It's hard to find qualified technicians. So you just hire the best people possible. And it just so happened that, you know, most of my staff was black and a customer complained and said that I hired too many black people and told management. And, you know, it just kind of just seems like, you know, someone says that and I kind of brush it off. You know, some people were laughing and I could look into, you know, my African-American technician's eyes. Like they kind of just put their head down a little bit that somebody would report that. And then all of a sudden I'm getting fired later. And it's just, you know, when you try to put the pieces together. So, uh, you know, the thing is, you're not (laughs) at no point. Did you tell me, Oh, I think this is a racial thing. I asked that question. I'm trying to pull it out of you. And so it's not like you're, you know, saying, Oh, you know what? I'm, I was fired because I'm black and I hired black uh, technicians. But the thing is, it's so complicated. And you know, the fu- the funny thing is, it's not funny. You know, I was I post a video about the the protests and how people should try to stay safe while they're protesting because the very communities that they're standing up for are the highest risk for COVID. So wear a mask, you know, stop tear gassing protesters that causes coughing and ripping off of the mask. I mean, you're going to harm these communities. And somebody wrote in there and said in a comment and said, it was a white person. And they said, um, in my 30 years of healthcare, I've never seen racism. And, you know, my emotional response to that is, are you fucking high? Like, are you just not awake? And then I realized, you know what? You can see what you wanna see in the world. And depending on your lived experience and what you experience, that's what you're gonna see. So people like that, I think, have never, experienced what it's like then to have, uh, uh, to be black, to have a child that's that you're worried they're driving to work and they're gonna get stopped by the police and killed just in a routine stop. Or what it's like to have your, te- your, te- your black technicians look down when some white person complained that you've hired too many black people. You don't know what, you know, people don't, can't put themselves in that experience of what that's like, you know? That's why I think the fun, the, one of the funniest things you did in your comedy that we put in the clip is you said, you know, this is what it's like when a black kid from South Chicago <laughs> gets an education. We become legal drug dealers. You put the comedy around a spin that really is a bias, right? And, and it's beautiful. That's the beauty of comedy. And that was another thing that just like, I would personally, I was like, how can they fire someone who's speaking truth, you know? Um, can you, with everything that's going on, I mean, can you just give me any perspective as a black healthcare worker on this? Um, with the, you know, like in my routine, I talk about growing up on the South side of Chicago and, you know, I talk to my family members and I say, what is it like over there? You know, and they tell me that people busted out all the gas stations and you can't get gas in your own neighborhood. You got to leave your neighborhood to get gas or they burned down the Walmart and all the other places to get food. I think the only place that they didn't burn down was Popeye. So if you want to get healthy food, you have to leave your community. And if the only thing people can really eat is unhealthy food, that even that adds to the health disparities that we already see you know, mm. in the African-American community. And I feel like when we fight over race, nobody, nobody wins, you know, Mm, Um, mm. you know, sometimes things have just boiled over. I I don't necessarily agree with the looting and rioting because I mean, I agree with the rioting to a certain degree because now everybody's 
watching and listening, but literally the, the, the community I grew up on the South side is destroyed. You know, all the stores mm. are messed up, all the gas stations you can't go to, you know, people don't have a place to get fresh food. So I was like, I'm so torn, you know, in between, mm. you know, I don't think stealing from stores, especially like black owned stores, um, is the answer. You're just hurting everybody and nobody wins. And even in this situation, I have a Walgreens, nobody wins. Like I don't really win from not having a job. Walgreens really doesn't win from this negative press. Like, you know, and ultimately, like I said, we should all just love each other. Anybody who knows me knows that I don't care about race. I hire black techs, white techs, gay techs, Muslim techs. Like I don't really care. You know, my, my wife is black. My daughter is hundred percent black, but my daughter's godfather is hundred percent white. He's my best friend. Mm. We're in mm. pharmacy school together. And I think that, you know, everybody, we should just, you know, after this, uh, just realize that there are some injustices. Um, everybody needs to come together and then we move forward because in the end, nobody, nobody wins. And and I compare that to my situation. I don't think me or Walgreens really benefit um, from this situation. We both actually have probably lost something. Me, you mm. know humiliation and just kind of my job and stuff I've been working on. And, and, you know, they have probably lost some reputation. So it's really unfortunate that one person couldn't just did a better job of talking or communicating or handle handling that situation. Mm. I mean, what you're talking about is really is, is seeing all sides and being balanced and understanding that again, like you said, it's no one's, no one wins when it's just straight conflict, when it's just pure emotion. Um, it's, I struggle so much with this man because, you know, when I was young and growing up in the very white conservative part of California, the Central Valley, you know, people would uh, directly say, you know, are you some kind of Iranian? Like, you know, this was during the that drama and, you know, and what kind of name is that? And like this kind of thing. And you just, it it's like a little series of paper cuts that starts to add up. But then when I look inside myself, I see my own biases that were conditioned by growing up in the seventies, you know, having these sort of um, unconscious biases that then I have to watch and see, oh, what am I doing here when I think about this person? And then you have to override it. So we do the best we can as humans. We have to admit when, we're struggling, you know? And, and that's why I, I, I hate like call out culture and this kind of thing, because it just assumes that everybody is evil and out for conflict. And there's only two sides and good and good and evil. And that's it. And it, that's, it's so much more complex than that. If I, uh, and it's funny thing, I'll tell you at the end of my comedy sets, um, you know, when I do, when I do my comedy, I just go through my experience at Walgreens. So, you know, they had posted me at a Walgreens in Chinatown. So I talk about that experience, you know, you know I don't speak the language and I'm by myself my, and it's so difficult. My it's, wife is Chinese. I can imagine the jokes, man. It, oh man. And then it's like, you know, they put me at a, a Walgreens in an all Hispanic area and I don't speak Spanish. And, you know, then they put me on the West side of Chicago, which is really rough. And then, you know, after I left Chicago, I worked in a predominantly all white area. And so I, you know, I always finish off my set is like, you know what I've learned? I worked in Asian areas, black areas, Hispanic areas, all white areas. You know, when you're a pharmacist and people get to know you, they, they tell you more about their health issues, but they tell you about their personal issue, what's going on with their husband or their kids or whatever financial issues. And I learned whether you're Asian, black, white, Mexican, we all go through the same things in life. We all deal with the same medical issues. So instead of focusing on our differences, we just need to realize how much we are alike and kind of just move on together. And that's how I end every, 
almost all my comedy shows. Man, see, that's comedy with heart and message. That's a beautiful message. You know, when I think about healthcare, you know, when we have to take care of everybody, we have to take care of the neo-Nazi who comes in with a swastika, right? We have to take Mm -hmm. care of everybody, people that you may have innate bias or bad experiences with when you were a kid or whatever it is, you have to step up and it's the great equalizer because working with every different type of person, you learn to hate everybody equally (laughs) across the board. It's just all humans are are trapped. No, I'm kidding. But what what it is, it's interesting. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, I can't even tell you, you know, working in the last store was that how many uh, people I might've given a flu shot to that had the Make America Great Again hats. And I was like, okay, let's (laughs) let's see how this is about to go. But you know, they'll they'll always, you know, the first thing they say, Oh, that damn Obamacare. I'm like, oh shit, here we go. <laughs> they wanted to talk to me about Obama, but you know what? No matter what, we probably had uh, difference, differences in our political views, but um, they all left uh, that immunization room laughing and saying, thank you. And, and, that's, and that's, I think comedy is able to bring people together, even if their views are different. And that's why I love it is. comedy. I'm with you. That's why I do what I do too. And my whole thing is like, you can love somebody with different political beliefs, even if they're pretty radically different. If you see the underlying core of who they are, right? And you have share a commonality. And that's a good example of that. And, and it's actually taken me a long time. And I used to be pretty kind of set in my ways and in my bubble. And like, you know, anybody who thinks differently is evil, is just not getting it. And then you go out in the world and you start to see the shades of gray and the shades of purple actually in the world. And you say, you know, everybody's doing the best based on their moral matrix. And we can start to nudge people in a direction we think is better for the most people. Like for example, racial injustice is bullshit. Like in no, in no society, is that gonna be a productive way to grow and utilize all the talent we have in the world, just from a practical standpoint, right? But then, so the response to that is to deny it exists because nobody says it's a good thing. Well, then you deny it exists. Well, so then we have to wake people up to where it does exist and show them. And and it's you do it in a loving and connected way, not in a polarizing you know, way. And it's hard, it's hard to do that, especially when we're emotional. So it, it's really tough. Yeah, I love that. I love the way you end that set, man. That's just, <laughs> that's just amazing. And you know, can we talk about race? That's the thing about comedy. It gives you a license to say that mm-hmm. stuff, man. You you did one piece in your set, I remember you were like, so I had a patient come in and she said, my name is Maria Gonzalez Arroyo. <laughs> and I said, ma'am, I can only treat one person at a time. <laughs> it's like and I was like, that's... Yeah, with with pharmacy too, it's like, you know, there's cultural differences. And if you don't understand the culture, sometimes there's that that kind of gap. And that's why I think it's so important to have um, diverse healthcare workers, because I probably can do a good job of educating, you know, African-American patients about hypertension and diabetes, but then trying to relate to a Hispanic patient, I, I, you know, I might, I don't fully understand the culture as well as maybe a Hispanic pharmacist who could do a better job than me. And that's why I think it's important as healthcare professionals that, you know, I like it when I see diverse um, healthcare professionals, you know, black, white, Asian, I think it, you know, that's needed. That's why I think it's important to have, you know, whether it's community health workers, whether it's other staff, physicians that kind of 
feel like their community a little bit. It's not, uh, you know, like for say a pharmacist or a doctor, maybe it's not 100% necessary because you just, there's shortages and we need to go where we're passionate. Like maybe we love serving that community, but we speak a little Spanish and so on. But if you get a community health worker who's black from the neighborhood where you're trying to help, they understand that community. That's what we did at our clinic too. Like we had these health coaches and they came from that community they served, right? Like one of our health mm-hmm. coaches was a, had a EMS background, was paramedic and, um, happened to be a bartender at like the Wynn Resort and Casino, understood casino workers, understood alcoholism, could get a alcohol history that you didn't have to multiply by five to get the actual number. And that kind of thing was a bridge to the community because a lot of times doctors are very, you know, we're buttoned up and we've been through a process of conditioning and so on. So having that that bridge was, was kind of important. Um, What's the role of the pharmacy tech, man? Help me understand this, because I think a lot of my audience doesn't get this. Well, the role of the pharmacy tech, they really um, just assist the pharmacists and really help them uh, free up the pharmacist so they can do more clinical things. And the role of the pharmacy technicians is actually expanding. Um, I think that the pharmacy technicians are actually underutilized, um, you know, especially since the pharmacists are so so busy. Um, cause I've met a lot of pharmacy technicians that I was like, you could be a pharmacist, you know, if you wanted to go to pharmacy school, but they kind of just see how the profession has, has been going and don't want to do that. But a lot of the pharmacy technicians are, are super smart and, and brilliant people, but really the pharmacy technicians, they generally take the prescriptions. They look at it to make sure that, you know, everything is complete on it to make sure that the prescription isn't expired. Um, they really assist the patients um, and the biggest thing in healthcare is a lot of times people don't take their medications because they can't afford it or it's not covered. And they do an amazing job of contacting their insurances, making sure that they can get a prescription to be covered or if they got to switch it to something else. Um, do- doing the insurance part of it, which helps with patient adherence, patient satisfaction, and just their overall um, outcomes. If they don't have to hassle, you know, if a patient comes and it on like uh, Berlenta or something, and it's like, oh, it's not covered, or and then they tell the patient they just got to figure it out. They're probably just like, you know, calling the doctor's office. I don't know what to do, and they need to start that medication. But the technicians really. They take that on and they try to uh, help the patient, whether it's finding a manufacturer coupon or a discount card and doing whatever they got to do. Um, technicians, they also uh, fill the prescriptions. So they'll grab the prescriptions uh, off the off the shelf. They'll fill it, put the label on, um, and they also ring out the customers. They also help us identify uh, gaps in care, um, like if somebody is diabetic. Hey, have you had your pneumonia shot? You know, the pharmacy technicians um, interact with the customer and say, hey, let me mm. let the pharmacist come over here and talk to you. So they, re- they really help us make sure that the patients are um, getting their medications, um, getting it through the insurance, they're filling it, they're interacting with the patients, helping us um, identify gaps. Like I said, immunizations they may need. Maybe if somebody's not adherent, they're asking customers like, hey, would you like a 90-day supply? That way it'll stop you from having to come every three months. So um, that's really just their role. I know their role is expanding. There's some places where I'll call for transfers. Uh, Usually a pharmacist will have to talk to another pharmacist for a transfer, but you know, in some places a technician can do that, especially if a pharmacist is too busy to kind of do that transfer. So their role is to really... uh, assist the pharmacist and uh, help the patients. 
Do, do you do you see any turf wars between like the techs and the farmdies like in terms of now you're encroaching on my my stuff right now uh i i don't see that now because we're so overwhelmed if yeah if we, we maybe if we worked in a, a perfect work environment where pharmacists actually had time to do their jobs but now since you know we're so understaffed they i don't think mm. that they they see that you know sometimes you know i've seen where you know we're doctors right you know i'm the big dog. So I've seen pharmacists talk to technicians a certain way. And that's usually when it comes, you know, the little turf war when it's like, oh, I'm the pharmacist, you do this. And, you know, a lot of my technicians be like, oh my God, that rude floater's coming. I hate when he comes. He's so rude and condescending. Why did you take a day off? I'm like, I can't even take a day off because you guys don't like the floaters <laughs> who come in here because they disrespect you. Constant guilt, constant <laughs> yeah. moral injury. It's like, wait, no, come on, man. Oh, man. So that happens in pharmacy, too, because I know it yeah. happens in medicine. It happens across the board. Oh, this guy's on shift in the ER now. And oh, he's a tyrant. <laughs> um, and you're just like, why? Why? Uh, uh, you know, and the thing is, like, there's a lot of the public doesn't understand these struggles, man. They're like, why am I waiting 15 minutes for my prescription and they they just don't understand the amount of, that's what i love about your intro clip man you're like yeah so i'm just gonna take the pills from the big bag and put them in the small bottle it's like yeah that there's more to it that you don't see and you guys are you know extremely trained to do this stuff so here's another question now you're free from the corporate matrix right now your wife is still employed yeah yes so so you're not gonna be on the street tomorrow Right. In yeah, other yeah, words, I won't be on the street. Exactly. So that means if funny you thing, can now, not to cut you yeah. off, but no, I please actually, do. I actually uh, uh, apply. I was like, you know what? Let me use my residency. And uh, I applied for a job at a hospital interview. And I said, you know what? I know I don't have any hospital experience, but I did a residency and I'm willing to work very hard just to learn hospital. And they actually gave me the job. But um, with coronavirus hit, you know, they were losing so much money every day because they couldn't do standard procedures i got furloughed so i've technically been fired uh, twice in four months but <laughs> <laughs> you know i'm starting to think it's not them it's you bro <laughs> 2021 where you at <laughs> yeah where you at right exactly man yeah 2020 is like we're ready to flush this whole year down the toilet man when'd you yeah. get fired from the first job uh the first one i got fired from was in january okay so just to start off 2020 with you know that event and then get furloughed from the second one. But now see, now you're working technically from home and you're actually influencing people in a way that is very powerful. So you're gonna continue doing that, I hope, because I will draw, I will send as many people as I can. We're gonna put links to all your stuff so that people can see that. But I want you to be the better, I was gonna say to be the Z-Dog MD of pharmacy, <laughs> but that would be too weak. <laughs> you gotta be way better than me because I'm an amateur. But I think you can do so much good for your profession and for patients too, who will then start to understand what's going on, man. So, you know, I, I, I'm really impressed. I, when, when I saw your clips, and listen, my wife doesn't laugh at anything anything and especially stuff i do she's like you're the least funny person i know i married you to make sure i someone told you that on a regular basis <laughs> <You know? laughs> but she saw your stuff and she's like you need to have this guy on the show like yesterday i don't know what you're doing so that's something because my wife you know she's a radiologist she hangs out with nerds all day in the dark and if you can make her laugh it's like you've you've hit something so there's you have it man like you you have the Thank talent you so to much that. i mean that means a lot to me Ah, man, it, it's really a thrill. And and uh, what I want to do then is I, I would love to, let's just push a lot of people, check out your stuff. 
I would love you to keep doing what you do. And then when you have something like, let's do a thing on PBMs together, let's talk about some other stuff so that you can we can share our audiences and really reach as many people as we can, because it's so important. Um, and what, so any other, any other stuff you're doing right now that you want anyone to know about, anything else you wanna say before we wrap up at our hour point? <clears throat> um, something that we kind of touched on earlier, or we talked about how we felt like pharmacists or other healthcare professionals should have a voice so they're more likely to stand up. I'm a big believer that pharmacists and healthcare professionals should also be entrepreneurs and have side jobs because I think a lot of the reason why pharmacists don't want to stand up because all their income comes from pharmacy. So if they get yeah. fired, you know, they're kind of screwed. Whereas if you're a pharmacist and maybe you own a building, if you want to stand up or protest or have to strike, you you don't care as much because you have uh, income from another source. So I, I've, in, I've interviewed um, on my pocket, I actually interviewed a guy who got fired from retail from do, for doing a YouTube video, um, not bashing the company. They called him in when they first found out. They said, uh, we just don't, we don't know where this is going to go. We're going to fire you. And uh, the same day as he was trying to uh, apply for unemployment, I think his dad died too, the same day that he got fired. And he started applying for other jobs. And then he just was like, why am I doing this? I don't even want to go back to retail because the conditions are so terrible. And he just stopped interviewing. He opened up his own company. And now he's all his business is based on YouTube as an influencer. And he's doing well. He actually helped me to look at the analytics of YouTube to better gauge my audience. And that's how my views went up. I think it says in the last like 28 days, I have 63,000 more views. And, you know, he's nice. really helped me a lot. And, you know, I've interviewed other pharmacists who are like health and body coaches where they're still a pharmacist, but she helps people, you know, lose weight and, and be healthier. And I, I think when you have that and pharmacy's not your only income, you're more willing to stand up for the profession. So I'm doing podcasts on that. And I'm also doing a podcast on mental health. I had a technician who was so stressed out that she had to take a leave from work um, because her depression was just getting too much for her. And she's been brave enough to come talk to me. We worked together at Walgreens and another guy mm. who was a pharmacist and just he's he was about to commit suicide and he's no longer in retail working someplace else. And I'm going to talk to him. So I, I really want to bring up issues that probably people don't normally talk about to kind of move the profession forward. And hopefully these dialogues will bring about change. I love this so much, dude. I really love this. I love what you're doing. This is exactly what my MO when I started doing this. And and the truth was I could have been fired early on. And as two years into being Z-Dog, I realized, okay, I'm no longer gonna be complicit in this stuff. Like I'm gonna leave and I was an entrepreneur too and actually had to close my clinic. And then I had no paying clinical work. Everything I did was volunteer. So what it meant was I could advocate the way I felt like I needed to advocate. I could drop F-bombs on my show if I wanted and I get the angry messages from people who were like, you're unprofessional. And I'm like, oh, fuck off. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and be the voice that I feel like I have to be, whether or not it's completely correct. And often I make mistakes I, more often than I would like to, but I try to own them. But the thing is, if you make a mistake or you don't, you could lose your job for speaking out when it's you against a system, but when it's us all together. Mm. And like you said, when you've diversified, it reminds me of that uh, Chappelle skit, remember that? Uh, it was uh, Wu-Tang Financial. 
Oh. <laughs> and yeah, and the Wu-Tang Clan's talking to these two white guys and they're like, you got to diversify your bonds. <laughs> I was like, that's hilarious. But that's that's life. It's like you have to diversify yourself so that no one thing is going to take you out. And you've already done that, man, because what you're doing is is your real passion and you've combined two callings into one. And I, I really got to I got to give you a shout out for that, man. Yeah, it was kind of unfortunate with everything that went on with Corona that I'm, I'm no longer, you know, I, I kind of lost this business. But that's the reason why I opened up a, um, a barber academy. So I mm. opened up my, uh, I took my own money. I opened up on the east side of town, which is underdeveloped, lower income area. I opened up a barber academy so people could learn the trade of barbering. And I also mm. partnered with the Urban League where felons who wanted to turn their life around could learn barbering and not have to pay for it. And then I helped uh. open up a, a barber shop so they could get job training and job placement. But it's just kind of how everything kind of felt with Corona and the businesses that things didn't quite work out. But I'm still trying to work to get things back together because that was where the how the whole health initiative was going to work together. I planned it all out. We do the barbershop, then we do the health initiative, and we can help felons, you know, learn it get a job, learn a training for free, give them job placement, as well as prove the health of the community. It seemed like a win-win, but, you know, things just didn't work out, but we'll get back eventually. It's going to be back, man. And and people are going to hear about it here and they're going to help. And it, it's the community will come together, man. You know, one thing I want to say, and I don't know if this is right, but it feels right to me, is if we just decriminalized, uh, so we talk about the roots of injustice mm-hmm. and all of that, but if we decriminalized drugs and stop prosecuting people for minor drug crimes, we would decrease the amount of conflict and potential for injustice by an order of magnitude. So there are systemic things we can do. Now, many people will disagree with me about this because they have moral issues with drug use, but the truth is drugs are gonna be used whether or not you make them illegal. And so the question is, can we create, uh, and very smart people tend to wanna promote this, a decriminalization, which would then reduce the amount of police officers that are necessary, reduce the amount of friction. And uh, it's just something I wanted to make sure I mentioned before we wrapped up the show, cause it, you know, I'm, I'm curious, do you have any strong feelings on that yourself? Have you ever thought about that? Um, yeah, cause I, I'll say this, my business partner, he's an amazing guy um, early on in his life. You know, he is a felon, but early on in his life, um, he kind of got out, on the wrong path. His mom used to clean homes. You know, he, it was just him and his mom and uh, somebody's house that she was cleaning caught on fire and he lost his mom. And he said oh. after that, he was on his own and he just was no good, you know, to society. You know, he was in the streets, he was selling drugs, just trying to make ends meet. You know, I can't even imagine not having my parents. Like, I know I wouldn't be a pharmacist or done anything I've done if I didn't have my parents. Yeah. And he got out and he really wanted to start his own business to help other felons. So they, you know, wouldn't, you know, go down the same path with them all. Like, Hey, I became a barber and changed my life around, you know, and he really wanted me to do this with him. At first I didn't want to do it. Cause I'm like, I'm a pharmacist, you know, why would I want to do this? And he, he kept, it's funny. He's smart, but um, he doesn't really know how to use his words very well. And in the beginning he kept saying, he meant to say, I want to help people transition from the street life to the entrepreneurial life, but he kept saying transgendering. And I was like, I don't <laughs> want to help people transgender, dude. He's like, we can do it. It'd be simple. I was like, that's not a simple process, sir. <laughs> so I was like, he's like, I think I'm messing up my words. I was like, I hope so. <laughs> oh, man. 
time for that. But, you know, the fact that nobody would give him a chance. He had this amazing vision. And he, every day he's like, brother, I, I just love you. You gave me a chance. You helped me make a dream come true. And nobody would give him a chance to do this because he was, a, you know, an ex-felon. All from, you know, mm. most of his stuff was drug related and mm. he had some unfair circumstances in life. And it's like, it's almost like until I came, it's been held against him. And he wants to do things the right way, but it's hard because people hold that over him, so. Mm. You know, we we talk about white privilege and the privilege that comes with being born a certain color, but we don't often talk about the privilege that comes of having parents, you know? Mm-hmm. Whether it's one or two solid parents that, that, like you said, you wouldn't have been a pharmacist. I wouldn't be a doctor without my parents. My privilege was having two parents that were deeply interested in my success. Me too. You know? even as an immigrant and they came with nothing in their pocket. And uh, to have that is such a, it is a privilege. And so the question is, how do you pay that privilege forward? And you're doing it by taking someone who did not have that privilege and saying, I'm gonna give you a chance because I see inside who you actually are, right? And you haven't mm-hmm. had a chance to express that. That that That's, if we could do more of that, I think a lot of this division and societal strife would heal, but it's just very hard on a systemic level when it's so, it, you know, it's been going on for so long that it's a cycle, like a vicious cycle. But man, that's that's really awesome that you did that. Uh, I hope it restarts, you know, once this crap is over, which by the way, you know what I think is gonna happen? You're gonna have all these big protests, people face to face, half of them not wearing masks, and we're not gonna see anything happen with COVID. Like it's actually gonna continue to decline. And we're gonna be like, whoops. And then we'll just get back to work because it's probably a summer effect. And the fact that outdoors, the virus doesn't uh, survive as well as it does indoors. A lot of the spread is inside. And I think that's what we're, we're probably, I'm, and again, this is my Nostradamus prediction. I've you know only limited evidence for this. So nobody listen to me, but I like to just say what I think. So I think that that might happen. Then we'll start to open up more. And the businesses and the entrepreneurs like yourself who've been affected by this, which we never talk about. You know, we talk about, all the health effects in the black community say off uh, COVID, which are huge. But then we don't talk about, and by the way, it's it's all the like patient transporters and you know front desk clerks and, and staff in New York that were getting infected in healthcare because they didn't have the high grade PPE that the doctors and the nurses and the ICU people had. And they were predominantly lower income minorities. So we don't, we don't talk, we talk about that, but we don't talk about the economic devastation to those same communities from the lockdown. And so I think we have to look at all of that when we think about you know the balance we're trying to strike. But any thoughts on that or? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, the, the, the virus definitely had a major impact. And the thing that I think about the most is that, you know, with the health initiative I had, I saw they had this statistic in Chicago. I can't remember the exact numbers, but in terms of death, the coronavirus was affecting the black community way worse than any others. And the thing is, a lot of them had a lot of underlying conditions. And a big problem is that a lot of people in the black community, they're so busy, two, three jobs, got a lot of stuff going. Nobody has time to go to the doctor because they're just kind of just running around. People are just scared of uh, the healthcare system and don't want to go or don't want to have to pay a copay because they can't afford it. And they have these underlying conditions that they don't even know which is why I really wanted to get this started so we can help people like, oh, you don't even know that you have hypertension or you don't even know that you might be pre-diabetic. And then the more that people know, that might have saved a lot of people to try to get their, their you know, their conditions under control. 
Why, why do you think there's such a distrust of the healthcare system from your perspective in that community? Um, so I do. Uh, I partner with uh, Blue Cross and we had a health initiative where I did blood pressure, blood glucose, and they had like an HIV van stand outside. And um, I would take their blood pressure and I said, you know, your blood pressure is kind of high. And they were like, yeah, I was told I had high blood pressure, but I stopped taking the medicine. I never went back. And I said, well, why did you not go back? And they would say, well, I had a job and then I got laid off and then I had public aid. And then the doctor that I was going to didn't want to take public aid and I had to see somebody else. And then somebody else wanted to switch my medicine and just got too confusing. So I stopped, um. and, you know, and it's just, you know, but they're like, I don't feel, I don't feel bad. And I'm like, that's not how this, how this works. And it's like yeah. the, <laughs> the, the education yeah. piece behind it, they, they, you know, they're like, well, I don't feel bad. So I must be okay. And, you know, and that's what happens uh, to a lot of people. And so he was, you know, cause I looked like him and, you know, I know I have a fancy shirt on now, but under this, I'm covered in tattoos and hell you know, yeah. <laughs> people, people like it. They all like, say mom, but you know, <laughs> You know, so many times when I do this, people are like, man, it's so nice to see a, a a black doctor like yourself to kind of looks just like me to see that, you know, what you're doing. And I'm and I'm so proud of you. And they actually, you know, take what I'm saying to heart because they're impressed by me. And, you know, they've made appointments. That's why I love the doctor that was working with the SIU, because he's like, I don't care, you know, what insurance they have. Just send them here and we'll help them out. And that's how it it should be, you know, not people getting denied because they have this insurance or that and or maybe they can't afford, you know, they're worried about I don't want to pay the copay to come in all the time to keep it to keep getting their blood pressures rechecked. So, yeah, it seems like and you and you have communities where, like you said, the, the food isn't great. You don't have good opportunities for fresh food. The fresh food's expensive. It, exercising can be very difficult when you're working multiple jobs or whatever's happening or it's not safe in your neighborhood. And then you have the chronic stress. So there's some theories that, especially, you know, young black men are under a lot of this sort of low grade stress all the time that that has to do with all of this systemic stuff. And that creates a kind of high cortisol system that that promotes high blood pressure, weakened immune system, all the other stuff that can lead then to diabetes, hypertension, congestive heart failure, early strokes and heart attack. and and of course, puts you at risk for COVID complications because these are inflammatory states, you know? And it, and again, we have to break that cycle. I, it's really cool that they were able to see you as not other and say, oh, this is someone from our community who's actually, and, and listen more, but you need that. That's why I think the community health worker thing is nice because you can have a lot of folks from the community that are screened for their, engagement like we all know those people in our neighborhood that are just like you just want to give them a hug and tell them your life story like they're just that good person right right you can find those people and send them out give them some training and send them out and they could do that heavy lifting and to connect the healthcare system which is nameless and faceless and scary and expensive to the community and make it feel like this is why the blood pressure you know what matters to you let's hear what you care about okay well to get you to that goal that blood pressure has got to be treated because if you lose your sight you're not going to be able to do this thing that you love you know something like that but it's it's hard there's no easy answer yeah yeah what do you think maurice are we do we did we do a thing here or? i think i think this this may be one of your top five uh 
videos. <laughs> <laughs> why why just put it in the top five? Just say best. I mean, come on, just pull a full I, Trump. I know, you, this is the best you, video. You've got some pretty good videos. I gotta give it to you. I especially love your pharmacy one. I don't know if everybody else loves it, but my favorite video of yours is that little Zan. <laughs> Oh man, Edivan, 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 Edivan. Hey, belt full of meds, call me Batman. <laughs> no, but you know what? The Bismarcky Pharmacy Joint was one of my favorite to do. It wasn't as popular just because it's kind of an old, you know, Bismarcky. What are you going to do? But, you know, baby, you, <laughs> you got a farm D, <laughs> but you say I just dispense. And you hate those PBMs. Oh, baby, you. There's so much fun to do. There it is, man. Yeah. Hey, will you do a will you do a collab with me on a music video if we do something? Definitely. You just say the date and time and I'm there. I want to do a J. Oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say I did uh, probably the best one I have is the um the old town road. And I did oh, yeah. you gotta stop understaffing. <laughs> oh, can you send me that? Yeah, I'll send you that, which is funny because even that, my my old district managers like that video. <laughs> they just yeah. Still, even, even that, they didn't even think it was gross in this time. They didn't even bother. But this new guy. Good people. Oh, yeah. this new guy. Well, you know, we won't we won't name names, but <laughs> that new guy needs to go. But, you know, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, man. We, we're planning, um, um, at some point I want to do Jay-Z, Kanye, uh, like, Doctors in Paris, like the mm. equivalent of that. You know, dun, 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 dun. you know, farm so hard, motherfuckers never find me. <laughs> Even Jacob wanna find me. You know, what's 50 grand, you know, what's 50 grand to a student loan like mine? Can you please remind me? <laughs> or but, maybe we could do, uh, I'm so understaffed, understaffed they can't find me. <laughs> oh, I like that. So understaffed they can't find me. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah. Man, there's we so much. And I do want to do, I want to do Shaggy, um, it wasn't me, oh, about man. like over prescribing antibiotics. Oh, you know, like, okay. shorty came in and she coughing none wheezing, you know, <laughs> you know, gonna go to ask the farm D. You know, how where, how could I forget that, you know, antibiotics don't treat bacteria, whatever, or, or virus. And then he's like, I gave a Z. <laughs> but she doesn't have a, you know, bacteria, I gave a Z. Uh, yeah, we have terrible ideas. Uh, and we're going to execute on every every one of them. <laughs> These are great ideas. I think a lot of times when I, when I make a parody, people's like, oh, you should do another one. But they don't realize, like, how much it takes to, like, edit that, actually so write brutal. out the word. It's like... I'm it's almost exhausted just thinking about when I do another one. I need a break. And then I was like, I get re-energized and they want to do another one. But it's just that. <laughs> that's it's so true. Like how many people I get to talk about this with? So I'm just going to, we're going to do a little therapy session <laughs> right now because we're still recording. I don't give a fuck. So you do a parody. It is this epic undertaking, which means you better choose your parody right because you're going to spend the next weeks just going crazy about it. Like right now we're working on Dan, which is a parody of Stan by Eminem about okay. an anti-vaxxer, right? So he's like, dear Z, I Facebook message, but you must have missed it. I sent some links to prove vaccines will turn your dog autistic. It's peer reviewed. Natural news is hella journalistic. The editor is gluten-free, a vegan psychic mystic, you know? And so just long ass rap. I got to memorize it all. I got to shoot the video. It's a ton of work. And then you're spent. You can't even, and then what happens is motherfuckers send you about 30,000 <laughs> ideas right like how many ideas do you get man have you done opp about farm d have you done and you're just like please just kill me dude now i know how weird al feels he probably gets a million of these yeah so many people especially they, they would um 
oh, you should do this or you should do this video bashing Walgreens. And, you know, I, you know, none of my videos ever bash Walgreens. I'm like, no, that's a stupid idea. Uh, not doing yeah. that. That doesn't not doing benefit that. the profession, that video. Um, you know, they wanted to do one, like, uh, make fun of the patients who are addicted to drugs. I'm like, we're not here to make fun of patients who are addicted to drugs. We're here to help them not doing that video. That's stupid. You know, wait, wait, yeah. wait, stop. So you're telling me that your videos have to have a mission and <laughs> yeah. see, this is the thing. So people will tell you, do all this shit. And you're like, and what's the point? Well, how will that make the world better while making us laugh and making us groove? No, it won't. Well, then why the hell would I do it? Even Ativan, right? That whole thing, like you'd think it's just a throwaway thing about sedating patients. There was a message there, which is we over sedate, we overuse these medications and they're part of our culture. So we better think about that, you know, because they cause harm. And um, that's why I always put a thing at the end. I'm like, you know, we can't, this, this song is not about over sedating patients. Why would you do that? You know, we need to, and then we have a little bit of comedy around that, but that that's the thing, right? So you see, mm -hmm. get a ton of people messaging you with this stuff. Yeah, just just all the time. I even get it when I go on stage. My dad's like, "Hey, you should do this joke." I'm like, "Definitely dude. not doing that joke on stage." Wait a minute, <laughs> dude, dude, dude. Your dad gives you jokes because my dad, he fuck, he's Indian. He calls me like, "I uh, I got a couple of jokes that I faxed to you." He faxes fucking jokes. I, I'm going to fax these jokes to you because, you know, you got to put them in your act. Like, very, very comic. One time he told some family friends because I started getting bigger and he was like, you know, people don't uh, understand that this Z, Z dog, whatever he is, is a chip off the old block. You know, I'm the, I'm the comedian, really. That's what he got it from. And I'm like, actually, that's a complete lie. It's my mom who's funny as hell. Like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> I think to me, the craziest thing where people will comment and they'll be like, what pharmacy? I can't believe Walgreens let him do this in the pharmacy. I'm like, you don't realize that's a green screen? Like, I don't even yeah, use Walgreens oh, logo or background or waiting area. I'm like, what? <laughs> that's the best, man. One time I, when I was still at Stanford and I was doing these videos, I went in, I snuck in with a camera and I just videotaped backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And then I green screened myself into all those backgrounds. So they're like, hey, did you shoot in the hospital? No, shot in my bedroom with a green screen, but people, yeah, people don't get it. They're like, how'd you do that thing on the elevator where you were floating over the elevator? I'm like, yes, yeah, it's, it's a trade secret. <laughs> if I told you I'd have to kill you, it's like, it's a green screen. <laughs> do you do all the editing yourself? Yeah, I do all the editing. Um, yeah. I remember when I first started, I had, I would have somebody help me, but I was always waiting on his time. So I started mm. just watching YouTube videos, YouTube videos, and then I just kind of did it on my own. And then once I actually got kind of good at it, I was like, this is actually kind of cool to edit, you know, yeah, how you can do these yeah. transitions. And then uh, it's kind of something that I just love to do, just another hobby. I love it too. I really got into it. I, you know, Logan tries to edit our stuff and then I always override and like redo <laughs> it and then, and then end up going back to his edit because he's a professional. But I just love the process of finding the story and the edit from all this footage, you know? We, and, we should, I think one time, another thing we should do is like, for me, I, my huge passion is fish tanks. They're calming. I like, I, ah. I, have, a, I have huge fish tanks and I posted it once. And Mar it was Marine kind of, tanks or marine or I, I tropical? Do, I, do, I do freshwater. Um, I have yeah, a huge yeah. cyclic tank. I'm working on a, um, uh, a discus tank. Cause it's just, I yeah. would come home from work, be so stressed out. And I just look at the fish and then it just uh. calmed me down. But I remember when I posted something, so many healthcare professionals have these hobbies. And I think it'd be kind of cool to just kind of just talk to see what everybody's hobby is, you know, outside. Because a lot of times it's easy to just get wrapped up where there was points in my life where my life was just all pharmacy, especially when I first started. Yeah. 
I'd go to Me work. Too. I picked up shifts. I go to sleep. Oh, we had a call off. I know you work 10 hours. Can you go work an overnight shift? Oh, yeah, I go work overnight and then got to go to your day shift in the morning. And it's just like, you know, I think w- when people develop hobbies or learn new hobbies they want to take up, it actually make their life better, their work experience better because, you know, they got something to look forward to. So I'm with you, man. I'm like when I started cooking math as a hobby, I found that <laughs> it, um, it was not necessarily calming, but it kept me, you know, kept me sane. <laughs> I mean, all joking aside, I had the same thing when I started my career as a hospitalist, I didn't have any hobbies. And then I was like, I need a hobby. And so I started getting into audio gear, like uh, high-end stereo equipment. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, vacuum tubes and like analog records and this kind of like obsessing over. And it allowed me an outlet to like get my OCD out in a way that wasn't harmful, right? Except to my wallet, which I ended up having to just stop because I was like, this is, this is bringing nothing to the world. I'm listening to music because I love it, but I wanna create music. That's what I wanna do. Even if it's not very good, that's what I wanna do, you know? That's so crazy. If I, and I, there's so many like medical people that have these side hustle hobbies. Some of them they monetize, some of them they don't. You know, I was lucky that I was able to monetize what I love doing, which is talking to people, making funny videos, caring about, the profession and trying to make it better. And, you know, it's great that YouTube and Facebook and Patreon and these kind of things give you opportunities to actually make a living doing that. And you can combine it with your clinical practice or you can do clinical practice voluntarily like I do. And, you know, the great thing is now there's no way I'm gonna recertify for my ABIM internal medicine boards when it's all busy work and I've come out and said that it's terrible. I'm gonna take the alternative boards from NBPAS, which I've done, and I'm, I can take a stand without worrying about, is a hospital gonna hire me, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's important because then you can kind of lead a movement for change from a position of not having to worry about not, you know, being a victim of the change, um, which is hard because that's a moral conflict. Like if you're saying get rid of fee-for-service medicine and, and you're dependent on fee-for-service medicine, as I was when I was practicing, that's a very hard, you know, how are you gonna bite the hand that's feeding you? It's a conflict, even if you mm-hmm. want to, even if you know it's bad, you're gonna come up with reasons that it's not, you're gonna deny it. So, you know, I think that's why folks like you are so important. I'm glad you got fired, my friend. <laughs> I'm, I, you know, I hate to say it, but, and I know it hurt your dreams, but I think this was meant to happen. I think this is something that you're gonna find in retrospect was the greatest thing that ever happened to you because you have a gift, you have another gift that you can share with the world without worry. You know, I, you have time to do it. I know in my pharmacy, I used to have this big sign that life is 10% of what happened to you and 90% how you respond. So mm. I'm, I'm just going to uh, take, you know, what life throws at me and just respond. You know, I'm a healthcare professional uh, with the emphasis on professional and just keep moving, moving forward and, and doing what I do best, uh, trying to help patients and make people laugh. So. I love it. I love it. And there's another saying uh, by Shinzen Young, who's a famous Zen instructor, and he says, suffering equals pain times resistance. So everybody has pain, but your resistance to that pain, in other words, the fighting and the, and the oh, I, I don't deserve this pain. This is not fair. I, this is terrible. I'm, I'm worthless. If you drop the resistance, the pain's still there, but the suffering goes to zero. So it's how we frame our response. Like it's the same way of saying what you just said. So I gotta say this, Maurice, man, it's been a joy, dude. <laughs> connecting yeah, with you during this. I've had fun and I look forward to, you know, doing more uh, videos and works with you in the future. 
Can't wait, can't wait. So ZPAC, do me a favor. Sorry for all the curse words. I know some of you won't share it, but uh, I don't give a damn about that. <laughs> what I care about is you guys supporting this guy right here. So we'll put links in the show notes uh, that Maurice will send me to his stuff. Um, find out how to find your voice in your own way. If we stand up together, they can't fire us all. They can't uh, because they need us. They need us more than they will ever admit to your face. They will tell you that you'll never find a job like this. You'll never be, and you'll walk and you'll find the, the thing that is right for you. Do not let them convince you that you're stuck in something that you feel is morally wrong. And for that, I thank you for being a part of this. Thanks to all the supporters who make this show possible. We are a platform on iTunes, podcast, YouTube, Facebook, and my website where everything lives, zdogmd.com. Check it out, and we out. Peace. Mr. Maurice Robinson. How y'all doing? A little bit about me. I'm a pharmacist for Walgreens. Yeah. I'm a proof of what happens when you send young black kids from the south side of Chicago to college. We learn to sell drugs legally. <laughs> the other day I was wearing this t-shirt and it said, danger, educated black man. And this lady's like, excuse me, sir, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, white lady, what's up? <laughs> She's like, what's so dangerous about an educated black man? I'm like, well, once I rob you, I won't get caught. <laughs> People always ask me, do I hate being a pharmacist? I don't hate being a pharmacist. There's just certain things I hate about my job. One thing I hate, I hate that everybody's so impatient. Every time people drop over a prescription, they want it right away. I was at work today, and this lady had to drop over a prescription. So I said, okay, ma'am, I can get your prescription ready in 15 minutes. She's like, 15 minutes? Why does it take you 15 minutes to take pills from a big bottle and stick it in a little bottle? <laughs> I said, okay, man, I'll get it. I'll get it done as soon as possible. I get a prescription done in five minutes. I said, is there anything else I can help you with, ma'am? She's like, well, I have a question. Does my new medication interact with any of my old medications? I said, I'm not really sure. To be honest, I don't even know what that is. I just grabbed some shit from that big bottle. <laughs>